Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Business Podcast. My name's Charles Mackay, I'm your host today. Today we had the pleasure to speak with David Shepherd, who's the country manager for HubSpot uh, in Sydney, Australia. Um, Dave Shepherd um, has come from the US. He started at HubSpot over 10 years ago. And you know, over 10 years ago, HubSpot was a reasonably small company. Um, with, you know, when he started under 50 employees and now to over 4,000 employees around the world. Dave has had all sorts of sales roles within the HubSpot organization and pre-HubSpot as well. Um, and he goes through the journey of you know, what that process looked like to become the country manager for Australia. And then when he hit Australia and became the country manager, how you know, he'd been around for three or four years and it had hit a bit of a subculture as such, or you know, they may have hit a ceiling. And it was fascinating what Dave found out, what he thought was the problem at the time to then what really became the problem and how they went through and solved it. If you're into leadership, growing teams and building sales organizations, then this episode is absolutely for you. Dave's got some great insights um, and shares some really interesting stories about the journey. Without further ado, I'm gonna hand over to Dave and myself, enjoy. David Shepherd, what a pleasure it is to have you on the show, mate. So. Tell me, Dave, whereabouts are you sitting at this current time? I'm in uh, beautiful Manly, although it's a bit overcast at the moment. Um, yeah, on quarantine, I think this is week seven for us. Uh, yeah, right. I think we were a bit early to the whole game. Um, it's been some ups and downs there, to say the least, but this week is a good week. So uh, you're catching me on a high. That's good. That's good. What's been the one thing that you've been doing to keep yourself up and about and in a good space? I would say two things, kind of, you know, a regular schedule of, of walks, um, kind of start the day and end the day with at least a 20 minute walk. And then I've been cooking a lot, which has been, uh, which has been great for, uh, being a little more healthy these days. But, um, yeah, I just think, you know, with no commute, you have a little more time to, to cook some food. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dave, um, thank you for joining us today. It's a, a real honor to have you on the show. Um, you do seem to have a bit of a funny accent. So tell us a little bit about your accent and whereabouts you're from. Yeah, I'm from the U.S., the, the Northeast. I uh, grew about two hours north of, of Boston in the middle of nowhere. Um, then spent a bunch of years in, in Boston, uh, both for university and then joining HubSpot uh, not too long after university. Uh, and I'm coming up on 10 years with them. But somewhere in the, in the mix there, they decided to send me out here to, to Sydney and uh, what was supposed to be a one-year uh, contract has been over four years now, and uh, I've totally fallen in love with um, with Australia and Manly and Sydney, and have no plans of going anywhere. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, let's backtrack a bit. Um, you said you studied un at university in Boston. What what did you actually study there, and how was that for you? Yeah, I, I was. Uh, <laughs> so I was one of those guys who took as long as possible to decide what I was going to actually major in. Um, mm -hmm. And so I picked late and I picked economics, but if I had, if I could have picked business or entrepreneurship, that's what I really would have uh, liked to do. And there was a, a new program back then you kind of get a minor. Um, and I don't know if that all that kind of terminology makes sense here um, in Australia, but yeah. So get the kind of an econ and entrepreneurship thing, trying to figure out how to get into business and always thought I was going to be a startup guy, but uh, joined on with HubSpot. It's just been such a great, such a great run learned so much uh couldn't be happy with how things turned out yeah so how did you um you know you finished finished uni how did you end up like landing that job at hubspot was it did you even know what hubspot was 10 years ago like how did that yeah. happen it's it's kind of a fun story actually to tell so i i had a goal to always learn how to speak spanish so after i graduated i actually went to argentina um for basically like a whole another school year so i left in september kind of came back in may and it was, it, it was a great time, you know, uh, kind of scared to kind of go overseas for the first time all by myself, that sort of thing. Didn't know anyone there. Um, was going to stay with a host family, all that stuff. And that worked out great, made some great friends. And when I came back, I actually landed um, my dream job, what I thought, um, at a commercial real estate development company. So mm -hmm. this, these guys were like, just the best of the best in the Boston area. They built all sorts of like really big projects across all sorts of different um, styles of buildings, whether that was like industrial stuff or commercial or retail or 
multifamily stuff. Um, and hmm. that was 2008. So you can imagine what happened. I, you know, I, I get this great job and they were smart. They said, listen, you're hired, but we're going to put you on a 90 day kind of uh, contract because we haven't really picked up any projects this year. And we're hmm. just a little nervous. Don't worry. If we pick up a project, you know, you're in, you're hired. Um, but we just want to be frank with you that like, we're going to have a hard time keeping people busy if, if uh, we don't, we can't get something going here. And, mm. and they knew way ahead of time that, that, that something was, was off with the economy. And mm. so I, I was there for about four or five months. Um, and then obviously that came to an end because I wasn't doing anything and kind of no one else yeah. was either. What, what, what so, were you hired for? What was that role? Honestly, it wasn't really dis defined. It was it was more of like, hey, we believe in you, and we're going to kind of uh, groom you into yeah something, and you're going to help out, and you're just going to, you know, if you can work hard, this will work out really well for everyone. Yeah, uh, I think honestly, they had it, they were a really tight knit group, and a mo many of them had worked together for twenty years, and I think yeah. that they were kind of trying to look to inject a little bit of youth into the organization. Because yep. I think they kind of remember themselves as being the youthful, you know, go-getters and felt yep. like they could, they could benefit from a little bit of that. Um, yeah. So I, I basically, I don't get fired, but like it just comes to an end and yep. there's nowhere else in real estate um, to get a job because like the banks have totally frozen. No one's given out loans. So the whole industry just comes to a flat out standstill. Mm. And, you know, I was getting some mixed advice by some mentors about, you know, stick with it. You'll find something. Um, and others were just like, well, you know, maybe need to move on. And so I ultimately just said to myself, like, my goal has always been the same, which is to start my own company. And I was like, I've heard that you have to learn how to sell. So I, I basically took uh, the first sales job that came my way, which was selling life insurance um, hmm. for a really good company, uh, a company called Northwestern Mutual, kind of largely considered the best life insurance company maybe in the world. And... I did really well. I won a bunch of awards and hated every single day of it. I, I was working as hard as you can possibly work yep. and it just sucked. I hated it. I didn't like the way you did business. You had to like, I would meet with you, Charles, and I would get to the end and be like, Hey, did you get value out of this? And of course you're going to say yes. And I'd be like, okay, well give me your whole Rolodex of all of your friends and family and I'll call them uh, and try to sell them too. And I just yeah. hated that, that dynamic yeah. Yeah. Um, of you what, having what? to vouch for me. What was the like purpose behind that? Like other than just selling, you know, <laughs> selling widgets, call it anything, but what, what was driving the, was there anything behind it? In, in terms of like my motivation? No, what the business had sold into you. Oh, you, you like, like, like what was like the, like, why did I take the job in the first place? Or more, more like, yeah, so you, you're young, you take the job because you need the job and, you, you know, you got the work ethic, you're going to do it. But what was the, like, obviously you, you won all those awards, but what was the defining piece where you're just like, I hate this because something in, internally was not aligned with you, I'm assuming. You know, it's, it, was, it was one of those funny things where I knew that I wanted to do sales, but I... I could just tell that it was not something that was like interesting me and, and nor did the way the business operate, nor did like the mission really mm. matter to me. Like, like yeah. I own all the products still, right. I've been paying up for years and like, so I've, I've had them since I was what 20 something years old and who needs life insurance when you're 20 something years old. <laughs> so it was, it didn't, wasn't that I didn't believe in the stuff. Right. But it was, I just didn't, yeah, I was just like, this is a no-brainer. Like, if you're a responsible human, you get life insurance. This is not something yeah. I want to spend my life doing. I just didn't, like, it wasn't, like, a huge calling to me. So I tried to quit, like, 10 times, like, honestly. And mm -hmm. I think my my logic brain just didn't listen to my, to my heart. Um, and I wouldn't trade it because it was so hard that everything else afterwards just seemed really easy, um, mm -hmm. both by the tone the hours and just like the toughness it took for me to like go through that. Um, and so that kind of was the launching point. And then, so I, through that whole thing, I decided that I was going to look for jobs. I wanted to get into tech and I met um, a guy named by the name of Joe Sharon, who was the recruiter at HubSpot. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is the first company I've ever met that really gets it. They, they believe in systems and processes and they were super smart and they were driven by uh, mission. It was clear that the culture was important to them. 
And I was like, mm-hmm. this is the first group of people that actually get it. And I don't know like what get it means, but it was like, I had read a couple of books about entrepreneurship and I told you, I studied that at university. And it was just like, this is what people talk about when they talk about a great company. And I just mm-hmm. knew it. And I get all the way to the interview with Brian Halligan, who's the yeah, CEO. Wow. Mm. and it goes terribly i was like it was it was just the worst like in hindsight i was probably a shoo-in to get the job if i hadn't screwed up that interview and i was just thinking i've met with 400 people this year in a sales capacity and all of them have gone pretty well and that was probably the worst meeting of the year and so you know joe and the recruiting team they never quite told me no uh but it was clear that i didn't do well with with brian and so i actually ended up taking another job Hmm. And literally on my six month anniversary of taking the new job, Joe calls me up and says, Hey, uh, you should, you should look at going, uh, interviewing again at HubSpot. And I was, a, and I kind of played it cool. Like I wasn't interested, but I was totally interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that kicked off the whole set of thing. And, you know, part of the reason why I didn't get the job in the first place was back then it was really important for HubSpotters to be what uh, Brian would call a digital native meaning that you had a blog, you knew how many Twitter followers you had, and you were just doing the thing, right? You, you really believed in it. And I, yeah. I was totally a digital native. Like I was one of the first people on Facebook, but I, I didn't have a blog. I, I didn't know how many friends I had. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. know how many Twitter followers. I didn't know how many connections I had on LinkedIn. Uh, and so ne- the second time I, I was ready, I had a blog. I've been blogging for six months. I, I, I knew yeah. everything. That, and so I get back into the interview with, with Brian and he walks in. And classic Brian style. He goes, didn't I already tell you no? And I started, <laughs> and I started laughing. Guy was like, yeah, you did, but I'm back. And so he goes through his whole, his whole spiel and um, asks me a bunch of tough questions. And, and, you know, about 15, 20 minutes in, he goes, all right, you're good. And he just walks out of the room. And that was kind of the beginning <laughs> of the, the journey. So it probably took me nine plus months to get into HubSpot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was, I, I was always going to try to find a way to make it back to HubSpot. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that? So that first role, was that like inside outside sales or BDR? Like what was it? Yeah. So it was a a kind of an inside sales account executive. Um, Yeah. We didn't back then we didn't really differentiate in terms of like who you were selling to uh, too much. Um, We had some slightly kind of, you just got actually hired as a pool. And then after you went through training, they then assigned you to a manager. Um, yeah. And so I was, I, I had, it was a regular sales rep carrying a bag, working hard, yeah. trying to figure yeah. out how to, how to sell software. So I'd never done that yeah. before. Yeah. And leading into the problems at the end of the day, because the bigger the problem, the generally the better off you're going to go. So in the early days, what was the problem that you thought you were selling to, I suppose, when it started to click and shift that you went, oh, this is the actual problem that I'm solving? Yeah. So both my parents own their own businesses, right? So my dad builds houses, my mom sells houses, which is probably why the commercial real estate job was like my dream job, right? You know, you don't stray too far from home. Uh, And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of small business owners. I think they work really hard. I think they tend to do an amazingly good job at whatever they do. You know, whether you're building houses or you're a plumber or you're a chiropractor, whatever, like they tend to just do a great job right and they really care about their customers they care about the business and it's really their whole life but i think where they struggle is to find customers Mm. and i just always thought that hubspot was the like the best way to get customers in our new world and so back then we had to convince people that their customers were online um, and that was not always easy to do you know because this is this is 10 years ago like it seems obvious now but back then it wasn't um and so one of the first people I sold was my mom. Uh, and, you know, I think the problem that, you know, you know, you could say that what we were doing is we were selling kind of an SEO software or a blogging platform for business or all that stuff. But really it was all about helping companies get leads yeah. because most small business owners, I think like once you get a lead, like you, you know what to do to kind of get them to turn into a customer. And then you're usually great at, you know, customer service and so forth. Otherwise you just don't stay in business. Right. Um, yeah. You kind of fail out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think to the, you know, we all know about the methodology that HubSpot built, but that was the game changer and it's um, obviously evolved a lot since then. Um, but that core problem at the end of the day is going to be some sort of growth of whether it's people, you know, internally or externally, 
Um, so tell us about some of the, like obviously as your roles evolved from, you know, inside to, you know, now country manager of, you know, APAC, um, what's that shift in problems and what's, you know, I suppose HubSpot, you know, they're very good at having clear focus um, without letting the noise come in. Like how is HubSpot scaled just so well globally why keeping on focus um, and that core mission? Yeah. So, you know, I, th I think the secret to HubSpot is kind of what I first sensed in some of those first uh, interviews, which is, you know, they, they certainly hire the very best people. Um, we hire the very best people, but we believe in, in kind of doing things that can scale and kind of building process. And so if you just think about uh, like a sales funnel, for example, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you start with how do you generate leads? And, and there's a whole bunch of steps that happen before then, but really that's the first step in the process uh, in order to grow sales. And so for us, we, we built out the whole inbound methodology and we followed it to a T, right? You create content. Mm -hmm. The more content you can create, the better. You, you socialize it on all the different social media sites. Um, you build a community by commenting and by um, interacting with people, whether that's on your own blog or whether that's on the social media sites. And you just like that stuff, it builds. It's like a tidal wave, compounds. right? Yeah. yeah, compounds, yeah. Um, and, and so that's how you generate all the visitors. And then you gotta create really great content to turn those into leads. You know, I probably don't need to go through each step of the inbound process, but yeah you know, then you turn that over to the sales side and then you have a couple other processes you have to kind of figure out. So you got leads as the first process. The second one is probably the hiring. You got to be able to hire really great people that can turn those leads into customers. Uh, then once you hire them, you got to figure out a way to onboard them, get them set up in your culture, get them set up in your ways and your processes and, and how you, you do things. And then the last part is you got to uh, continue to iterate on the sales process. Um, so that as things change with your customers and your prospects, um, that you have a, a sales process that mirrors what uh, is needed there, um, but is also compelling and builds urgency um, and, and shows your product in, in the best light. Mm. So I wanna dig into this a little bit on the people component, especially the sales component, because yeah. that's one thing that I have you know, I'm not trained in sales. I didn't do sales as, you know, it wasn't my first job. Um, and the thing I've found about nearly everyone that deals in sales at HubSpot, you wouldn't say they're the traditional salesperson. <laughs> um, and, you know, some of your best have been introverts, don't like public speaking, like just totally off your traditional playbook. So tell us a little bit about how and when that sort of happened that you saw the, you know, alter ego sales rep <laughs> yeah flip flipped oh man so we're, there's so much to so much to talk about <laughs> okay yeah. so i think the first step to finding great people is to work out what are like the fundamental values or um, attributes that someone has to have in order to be successful and i think mm -hmm. as you're a startup and you're growing you don't really know those things you start out you try to figure it out but then you end up hiring all sorts of people and you realize that all sorts of people can be successful yeah um but there's some common core that is the same across all of them mm. uh so you know some of the things that that hubspot looks for is like curiosity uh a commitment to win um being coachable among many others right and when I think about that sort of stuff, like you're really, what you're really doing is you're trying to find people who view the world in the same way that you view the world. Now they can come from all sorts of different backgrounds. They can have all sorts of different, uh, you know, shapes and sizes, be extroverted or introverted. Mm. Um, but like if you're an introvert or an extrovert, just cause you use that as an example, both there are people in both those groups who are just dying to win right mm. and who are super curious and who are super um coachable those their outward way that they deal with the world introvert or extrovert um, or how they kind of gain their energy that doesn't really have anything to do with any of those things mm. um and so i think we we build very long interview processes 
to try to tease out um, what exactly is this person kind of made of and, and do they do they think about the world in the same way we do and do they have those those kind of um, those attributes that we're, we're looking for so I think that's mm. step one mm. it's it's fascinating and I couldn't agree with you more um, you know you get that mission aligned and you get the right person in that seat it doesn't nearly matter what they do and have done if they're bought into it and are passionate curious coachable um i was listening to something yesterday actually on especially in this current time like think of elite athletes where the dates have just disappeared from their life so there's yeah. there's no olympics there's no football there's no tennis events so the ones that are actually going to come out of this period stronger are the ones that actually treat it as a process every day they get up they do their work there's no date um and w would that be something that's quite common or a common theme too that uh, you know it's all about the process not necessarily the result yeah i think there's um i mean it's 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 hard to give you a full-on yes to that one because <laughs> yeah you know as as a salesperson there's there's nothing I like more than a deadline, right? And I yeah. I know you know as a as a salesperson you always uh, you always have a bit of a weird relationship with quota and the end of the month or end of the quarter or whatever it is. And but I, I do think that does uh, help us take action. Um, yeah. But I but I agree. I think that when I look at our best sales reps, it's the ones who are consistent on a day to day basis. You know, they don't have, they don't necessarily have good days and bad days um, often, right? They, they, they have steady days. Um, yeah. They don't let themselves have a bad week. They figure out how to course correct if things get off to a bad start um, or they hit a hiccup in the middle of the week. And I just, I, I, I so I do think that um, the process and especially for sales, like so much of it comes down to just creating pipeline. Uh, yeah. And that, that, that can't be a sporadic process. That has to be an everyday thing. And I don't, yeah. I don't care what level of selling you're at, whether it's, you know, you're selling to small businesses um, or you're selling to enterprises. Um, you have to be creating pipeline every day. Mm. Yeah, no, you are, you are spot on. Um, what's a classic story that comes to mind where it's been an epic failure? <laughs> uh I can go a couple of different ways with that. Um, I don't know. I think maybe one of my, my most, I don't know, one of the stories I'm most proud of, I guess. Um, so this was more recently, maybe a few years back. Uh, I, I'd been a director for maybe about a year. Uh, had finally kind of figured out what that was like, having kind of managers sit between me and the, the individual contributors. And, um, we, you know, in Australia, December and January is a bit of a tricky time to sell because, you know, you have Christmas and, and just the way the culture is, you know, people take at least a week, sometimes two, three, four weeks off at that point in time. Uh, you know, kids are out of school. It's the middle of the summer. Uh, the weather's great here. Um, it's, you know, it's a good time to take time off. And so everyone kind of goes into what they call this, like, you know, silly season, um, kind of somewhere in November to kind of late January where things just kind of slow down. Yeah. And we, we just do really, really poorly in, in January and February, and it's not looking like it's going to go well in March. Mm. Um, and, and so we, 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 we jump in, we do a whole bunch of analysis and the analysis basically comes back that essentially our reps, our sales reps just didn't go to work. They didn't do that consistent daily pipeline creation. So mm. if you looked at the graph, it was like October and November are up here. December mm. drops in half. Mm. January drops in half. And then you're like, okay, well, what's going to happen in February? And in February, it's like a small uptick. So you basically have like December and January are the same amount of activity to create pipeline as just one month in November mm. or October, right? And so now you're already behind the eight ball because we're on monthly quotas. Uh, mm. and, and because we're an American company, the end of the year, December is like a huge push to get uh, some extra deals in. And so you pull deals from January into December. And so January and February are just absolutely terrible. And yeah. I'm sitting at, at the you know, first week of March being like, what's going on? And so you, you do the whole analysis and 
you know, in some ways, luckily, it wasn't a, a change in the market because that's a lot harder to fix. Mm. Um, but to discover that it's just because your team is not putting in the effort, that is a, that just, that's a, a kick in, in the gut. Um, and so I'm thinking about it and we've done a whole bunch of things to try to stimulate activity and stimulate pipeline generation. Cause we know this is a tough time of year mm. and it's all just falling on deaf ears. Mm. And I have this, I have this little epiphany, right? And by the way, this is like to give you the level of failure that this is, um, yeah. this is like me worrying about whether I'm going to be able to continue as a sales director. This is like a total, face flop as bad as it gets that, that's how bad the results were right yeah um, well because because and you guys too if you run two months not hitting there's there's red flags flagged yeah yeah and it was such a bad miss both months that it yeah. was it was it was like total red flags high alert everyone in the company is talking about it uh lots of scrutiny from all sorts of people across all sorts of divisions like not just sales that's worried about this mm. Um, because, you know, the, the Sydney office has a meaningful portion of the global revenue. Yeah. Um, so this is on all hands on deck. And, you know, one of the key stats we found was that when BDRs were creating deals, right, um, they were going through the sales process just as well as if a rep created uh, a deal. And so that was a good signal for us that there was nothing really wrong with our sales process, nothing really going on in the market, but the whole level of activity in terms of just like creating ops and creating pipeline was way down. And so now I got to figure out what to do about this. And you know, the worst thing you can do is just say, Hey, the reps are lazy. <laughs> and so my, the epiphany I had was what just a single question. What if the low activity is not the problem? what if that low activity is actually a symptom of something bigger? Um, and so I started to kind of ask people questions and, and kind of work with that in my mind a little bit. And basically where I came back to was at that point, I think the Sydney office was maybe three or four, uh, probably, yeah, someone like that, three and a half years old or something like that. And I started to think back about the guy who, who founded the office uh, another American guy, Sam, who you know very well, yeah. and the original team, uh, almost all of them are still with us today. And the, the mission originally was to put Sydney on the map, right? They had a mission to prove that they were as good as any other team. Mm. And for two years in a row, which basically ended in December, they were the best team in huh. the globe, right? Like wow. highest performing. And I think what started to happen towards the end of, of that year was like the mission of putting Sydney on the map and to proving to everyone internal at HubSpot that Sydney could do the job with, had, had worn off. And now mm -hmm. you had a whole bunch of people who were looking for the next steps in their career and they hadn't lived that high growth scenario before. And they didn't know what was to come in, you know, six months, 12 months, 24 months, or even beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so what I really decided was that we had an identity crisis in Sydney. Yeah. That like yep. our identity as an office was, you know, tied to something that was in the past and no one really understood where we were going or what was ahead or what, what the opportunity was. And so I sat down with, at that point, just the sales managers who were the majority of the office, but not the whole office. And we decided on trying to figure out a bigger vision for, for the, for the company. And we, we, we said this, like, we, did, we, we kind of did some quick modeling and said, okay, if in five years we just do what we're supposed to be doing, we'll be at X number of, of revenue. Uh, what's, what, what's our big stretch goal? And so the managers, you know, being sales managers, um, picked a really big number. I yeah. remember going home that night and I remember just being like, what have we done? Have we just, <laughs> have we just way overcommitted? Yeah. Um, and you haven't, you haven't shared this with the rest of the company yet though. You've just done it in, no. in, in, in yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I was, I was looking at the Sydney office as kind of its own little business unit. Um, yeah. Cause That's we awesome. kind of take after the whole Australia, New Zealand market. And yeah. it was really about trying to paint a picture about what it was going to be like for our team to be HubSpotters over the next five years. And we settled on a revenue number. I don't think anybody was happy with that. I think we much would have, which much would have rather have settled on something that was like, you know, customer impact or impact on our employees. 
Um, but the only thing that we could have really, we knew we were going to be able to measure was revenue because there were so many things that were changing within the business. And if we went back two or three years, you know, we couldn't have possibly have determined the metrics that were super important to us at that point in the business. So if we're going to pick a five-year goal. There's just no way we're going to be able to pick the metrics that are going to be super important at that point in time. And so we went with the revenue one. Yeah. Uh, and I basically prepared a whole Ted talk. It's like 15 to 20 minutes, no slides, talked about the problems, talked about the future. Yeah. And it was a pretty emotional talk to be honest, but we, we, we launched it um, a few years back and I don't honestly know how it was received on day one. Uh, yeah. My guess is there were some people who were just like, this is total BS. You know, I got this American guy we're doing a little bit of the raw, raw thing, um, which is, you know, slightly frowned upon in Australia, yeah. not terribly, but slightly <laughs> yeah. uh, less so with my Irish friends. Um, you know, the Irish guys are way more skeptical, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we get that kicked off, but then we make it a part of our regular cadence. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had a coach at the time um, and he was just like, my, my worry is not whether you can execute on the vision. My worry is not that you can't do the presentation. Uh, my worry is not that you can get, get people bought in. It's that can you get the rubber to meet the road? Yeah. Um, and so we implemented this thing called traction, uh, EOS, entrepreneurial operating system, which I know you're a huge fan of. And that's been how we've kind of been able to keep, keep the, the vision grounded in the day-to-day week by week, quarter by quarter thing. Um, and it worked. So we, yeah. we, we now have this, this huge goal, right? And we've, we've talked about it in terms of revenue, but you know, similar to our flywheel, which I actually have like this little thing here, in case people don't yeah. know what the flywheel is. Uh, yeah. we, we've, we've kind of you know, said that the, the goal is the middle orange part. And that what that means is that we're gonna have to be more innovative in Sydney than anywhere else in the world in order to hit our goal. Cause it's such a big stretch goal. And what that does is if we're innovative and we do that right, we'll be able to get more customers and have a bigger impact on our customers. And if that goes right, then there'll be even more opportunity in Sydney for, for our people. And so, you know, if there's more opportunity that leads to more innovation and on and on, and it kind of, it will kind of spin. Um, and it's worked out great. It's, it's exactly what's happened. Like we, we've been able to build a brand in Sydney that we're uh, willing to test things and, and do innovative things. Uh, it's also a nice size market for HubSpot as a whole. Um, and so we like to test things in Sydney and, uh, and the team here is, you know, most of the time you would say that sales reps don't want to test things. They just want to be like, Hey, leave me alone. Let me sell. Let me get to quota. Let me get to president's club. Let me make a bunch of money. But that really hasn't been the case in Sydney. We've really had a, uh, mm. really fantastic adoption of, of some of these, uh, innovative projects, uh, or tests, experiments, however you want to think about it. Um, and it's, it's going really well. So that actually fixed our activity problem. It was really a vision problem in wow. the end. People didn't yeah, know wow. how they, and, you know, I'm, I would have to say that over the last couple of years, we've iterated on it, but activity has never been higher than it is now. Mm. Um, and it seems it's, to be getting better quarter to quarter. It's fascinating, especially too, with a business that has such a good vision and has all of those things, but in a branch or a sub branch, how subcultures can exist. And it's like, well, how do you get that buy-in? And it just shows vision at any level in any office, um, having worked in businesses that have multiple branches too, like there is a subculture within those branches for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that's such an important point to make, Charles. Like, if, if you were to say like, oh, we don't have a vision or a mission at HubSpot, like that would be crazy. Like, you know us so well, like that's like everything to us. And so mm-hmm. when we set, when I settled on this idea of what we called as a vision for the Sydney office, I was, I was actually really surprised. I didn't think that mm-hmm. was going to be the answer because mm-hmm. we have a great culture we win all these awards as best places to work. And, and it's everybody, every HubSpotter can tell you what HubSpot's mission is. Um, but really the gap was, what does that mean for me on an individual level? And I mm. felt like the missing gap there was like having something that was just for the office um, that would, you know, break down that big global mission into something a little bit more uh, meaningful to them. And then from there, they, we, could, we could start to tell the stories about, about mm. individuals and, and how their careers were moving forward and, and, and all of that. Um, and it worked, it's, it's, again, it's worked out great. And I think it, it was really the missing piece to let people fill in the, their own stories and, and really understand where the boundaries were in, 
and, and how they can make a life for themselves within this big global mission, um, you know, with 4,000 people, I think now at HubSpot, something like that. Mm, that's, that's amazing and so empowering for people as well. Like you're giving them their own purpose and setting their own little mission within the company. I love it. Um, so, when, so that was like three and a half years ago um, that you yeah. did that. Um, and probably a pretty defining moment for you too in your career where you've just gone and said, you know, you've always wanted a business or you've always wanted, but you've literally said, oh, this is my business now. I'm going to just treat it like it is, um, yeah. which I think is a, a really good thing to do. Like at the end of the day, every business is your own business. Um, you're, dealing, you're dealing with people, you're building relationships. Um, what, you know, that vision that you set to the journey it's been like and you said that they probably thought you're a bit crazy initially but you know we all know that it takes seven to 20 times for it to actually sink in and eventually yeah. you know over your quarterlies it's going to get more exciting more more momentum <laughs> everyone buys yeah. in harder um has the vision ex exceeded or like you know what what has happened from where you where, where you'd initially set it yeah we're, we're basically right on pace um Although the way we did the plan, the first two years were, were, were going to be the easiest two years, to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this third year is now really the, the first really tough one. Um, but the truth is we're, we're right on pace. Uh, you know, I haven't looked at the, the last maybe month or two of data yet. Um, and so, you know, COVID has probably put a little bit of a dent in that. But yeah. we'll, you know, I think we'll largely get through that. Um, but it hasn't, it hasn't, it isn't actually the way we anticipated it. So the way we did the modeling was we have to hire X number of reps per year. Mm -hmm. We have to have a certain amount of, uh, MRR retention, and then we have to improve the productivity of the reps in the last three years of the plan. And so without getting to like all the numbers, like what that was, it was really only three metrics. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've largely been able to figure out so far how to improve those those metrics and, and kind of stay on path. So we um, we've actually hired more sales reps than we thought. Mm. Um, our retention has been pretty good, but not maybe exactly where we had wanted. Um, and now we're gearing up for that that productivity um, piece. And so mm. you know we're we're really looking into like all of the moving parts that really can impact that from um, attrition to because our, our more senior reps sell more than the newer reps to um products to innovative sales uh you know processes and, and making things mm. simpler and all that stuff uh and so that's that's kind of the big the big challenge in front of us now is like how do we just improve the productivity of, of the reps because we've hired more uh and mm. so that can be a huge leverage point for us to kind of continue to, to scale and yeah. grow and I like, I can bet you January productivity was down anyway, just cause like the fires, like it was a full on, yeah. we, we found it really hard to, you know, you got to have so much EQ and empathy and just want to talk to people, but, and then the COVID stuff. But I actually think now with COVID, I can bet you, if you looked at your internal metrics, your activity would be through the roof for the last six weeks. So it's, it's, been, it's, it's been odd, actually. We've, we've had like moments in the last six weeks that's been really up or really down. So last week was our best week ever of all time. Uh, wow. We do measure on a weekly basis. Um, but if we went back like five or six weeks ago, it was one of our worst weeks ever. I think it was kind of the week when everyone started to go work from home. It wasn't quite when everyone, everything shut down. It was like maybe the week before or the week after. But there, were, there was a two-week span in there where just like people just didn't even show up to their meetings. And I think it was just like people were doing the awkward commute from office life to, to home yeah. life and probably didn't have the systems and their schedules were all out of whack, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think now we're on the up and I think, I, I think people are more willing to talk and maybe they have mm -hmm. some more, I don't know, I don't want to say free time, but like they've, they've maybe settled down. They're now thinking a little bit more strategically, Hey, how are we going to deal with this? And because we're a business that helps people grow, I think that's on yeah. everybody's mind right now. And so it's, you know, and our job is to try to, how do we interact in a way that is, um, you know, polite and empathetic mm. um, and really centered on helping people and educating people as opposed to being, you know, opportunistic and, um, 
and just using a bad scenario to our advantage. I, and I, I think that, I don't think it's necessarily hard to get that right, but it's, it's, it's certainly when you have a quota easy to try to solve for yourself as opposed to your customers. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think everyone at the minute is too assessing everything. Like, is this what I wanted to do? Is, is my business where it was taking me? Like what is important to me? Um, which, you know, I, I think is a good thing as well. Cause you know, like everything, you can look at everything in two situations, either bad or good. And, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. I will look at everything in a good way and what can you learn and what can you come out better from that scenario? Um, which sort of leads into my next point. Um, you know, HubSpot redid their mission of we want to help millions of organizations grow better. Um, mm. You know, I think, I think that's a, it's a really, it's a strong mission. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's what this whole podcast and conversation is about is organizations trying to do things in a better way. So what are some stories that you've seen and, you know, what, what HubSpot are actually doing to not just, you know, we can sell millions of software licenses, but how is that actually going to make the place better? And, um, you yeah, know, give us, shed, shed some light on what that means. So I, I think the, so there's a couple things in there. So one of the things I mentioned was like, you're one of the things you're trying to do in life as a business is find people who believe in your version of the world, right? I've, I've kind of like, believe what you believe. I've, I've kind of said that before about the hiring. And I think that's super important. But I also think that's what you're trying to do when you're acquiring customers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, yes, you do have to evangelize what you're doing at times, but that's, that's ultimately what, what you're trying to do. You're trying to find people who have a similar view of the world. And I just think that we largely sell to small businesses, right? Companies under 500 employees. Like we have, we have loads of customers that are more than that, but that's, that's generally our, our, our group of customers. And that's really the backbone of every economy. Um, mm. And, you know, ha both my parents own their own small business. Um, I have just always loved the idea of helping folks like that. Um, mm. You know, my mom has, what, 12, 15 employees, something like that. And uh, I just know what it's like to be that business owner having grown up in that household. And mm. I just think that I think they're doing a great job for the world. Like they employ people. Um, they give people a place to a, a community. Uh, they give people a mission. They give you a purpose. Uh, they're helping their customers. They're really doing everything they can. They're trying to do everything right. And so, like I said before, I, I do think that one of the hardest things about business is getting customers. And I think mm. HubSpot helps with that. And so I, I just see those small business owners and I think if we can help them, I find that to be a really noble cause. So I really identify with the, the small business owners or um, the CEOs of, of companies. And just I, I know how much effort they're putting into things. And, and really all of the leaders in these companies. Um, and so for me personally, I just think that this idea of helping millions of organizations grow better is, is actually a, a really noble cause. Um, you know, I, I think... In aggregate, there are definitely people out there that think that growth at all costs is a really yeah. negative thing for our world. Um, and I, I, I totally understand that. Um, mm. I think most of, of you know, those folks would be more upset with big business as opposed to small business. Um, mm. And, you know, I'm, I just, I don't know if I'd be as excited about our mission if it, we weren't targeting or we weren't working with small business. Um, I, I, yeah. I, there's something very special for me about that group. Yeah. I, and I think too, in this current environment, um, things are going to go more local. Um, like globalization is going to be there, of course, but things are going to localize with consumables. Um, 100% just makes sense. Um, you know, we've all done it. Who hasn't got a fruit box from their local grocer in the last yeah, six weeks? Local. And how many people are going to keep doing that? Because the food's better. It's local. You're supporting farmers, like all of that stuff. So um, I think it's, it's really compelling. Um, and when you guys shifted to it, like at the end of the day, you look at your partner community and your apps and like who's connected with you. And it's without a doubt true that there's a value alignment and there's a mission that everyone seems to be aligned subconsciously or consciously. They, some probably don't know. Um, yep. And I, and I think you would find the ones too that don't last there's, there's a disconnect. So 
and I've talked about this a few times, is every relationship there's balance. And as soon as it becomes unbalanced, it'll, it'll break. So, um, you know, what's that guiding mission to, to keep the balance right? Um, and I think, you know, as you've grown and evolved, it shifts, it shifts and pivots. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's keeping that balance. Um, and I think you guys have done that really well. Yeah, I think, I think you could look at our mission and just be like, oh, that's just a really, you know, that, that's, that's a thinly veiled uh, way of saying we, we just want to grow. Because like if we get more customers and we have millions of customers, then like how's well grow. But, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, anytime you try to boil something down to just like the most succinct thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, it does get a little bit maybe close to a cliche. Uh, but that's just the way those things are. But I, I think it's more about your actions, right? And um, I think we do an exceptional job at HubSpot of trying to live out really solving for our, for our customers. Um, mm. And, you know, I think in this time, I, I think that's really kind of come out in spades. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't be more proud of our executive team and, and some of the tough decisions they've made to, to really support our customers and our partners, uh, like yourself. Um, and I, I've been, honestly, I've been very proud, uh, that we've, you know, maybe not necessarily taken the great, like the thing that would help our, our balance sheet or our, our P and L in the short mm-hmm. term. But, mm-hmm. um, by kind of thinking about the whole HubSpot customer ecosystem and our partner world as, as being part of the business and, and part of the group of folks that we're trying to help over the long term, I think that will pay off in the, in the long run too. Mm. And just, I'm, I'm super proud. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, um, I actually watched something not that long ago from Brian Halligan around, you know, lots of people in the world are trying to buy and or build and sell stuff, like fling it and sling it. And they're in it for the long game. Um, and they want to be like, the decisions I've made, will get them to be the get them through the long game like massively yeah. in the, especially in the last few months um so yeah I, I i couldn't agree with you more um you've sort of touched on it throughout you know the last 20 minutes of this conversation but what's the tip one tip that you would like to share with the audience you know if you're a growth re- chief revenue officer or you're you know mm-hmm. ceo or a sales manager or a marketing manager like what would the that core tip be I think I probably have two. So the first one I would say is like, take accountability. Um, I I think a big difference as people move up any organization is um, every level that you go up requires a new level of accountability of taking responsibility for things that are really outside of your control. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, don't point the finger. And then I think, I think the next one is like, ask yourself questions. Like don't search necessarily for the answers, but, um, the way I got to that epiphany with that question was like, I literally was just sitting down. I was like, asking myself, I was trying to get to, to a point where I was asking myself a hundred questions, um, yeah. without answering them. You just ask the question and, um, that honestly, like you, you do learn stuff from not answering the questions, but just asking them. And then that really kind of, um, was like I said, like the epiphany, that was like the, the moment where everything changed. Um, and then it's very easy to figure out, okay, like, what have you learned from this? What's the next step? What are you going to do about it? But I, I really think if you, if you don't take accountability um, and you don't do a kind of a proper reflection and asking all those questions, if you become reactive and mm. you, my experience is you just tend to do the same shit over and over and over again mm. in different flavors. <laughs> yeah. And you get the same results. Exactly. Right. Um, and so, yeah, one of my favorite things is like, you know, if you want to get what no one else has, you have to do what no one else does. And, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if like the story we've been telling this whole, <laughs> this whole time is exactly yeah. uh, a perfect uh, example of that, but I, it, it, it does kind of fit in with my recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. It makes a lot of sense. And I suppose to share your, you know, last 10 years at HubSpot and what you've achieved and all of that, um, is your most, you know, biggest success story? Is it actually setting the vision, or is it actually getting the rubber to the ground and making it come to life? Yeah, 
so I, I, I have a hard time distinguishing those two. Like they're, they're one <laughs> yeah. and the same for me, but I would say, yeah. yeah, that I would say like the biggest win of my leadership career for sure. Um, is, is, is that whole scenario. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't be prouder of my team of leaders. I couldn't be prouder of my, my team um, that are kind of on the front lines on a day-to-day basis. Like they're really the ones who do all of the, the great work. Um, but I do think that leadership matters. hundred um, percent. You know, like going back to the accountability thing, one of my favorite uh, books about that is called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Um, and man, like, I think there's a, he has a quote in there that there's no such thing as, um, <laughs> there's no such thing as bad teams. There's only bad leaders. And I think that's a really, that's a really tough thing to say out loud when you are the leader. Um, but ultimately I think that is really true. And so I, I do think leadership matters in, in a big way. Um, yeah. no, I hundred percent I, I agree with you. The amount of, you know, obviously a lot of people may or may not have watched the current, um, Jordan, um, Netflix documentary, but when yeah. it clicked for them too, like you're not, it's not about you, Jordan, it's about the team. Like, how do we make the team and that leadership that Phil, Phil had that, you know, it's phenomenal. And the, the amount of sport, like I love actually relating back to sport because it's, you know, business and sport are so aligned in my eyes. Yeah, um, sure. And, you know, champion teams are a team of, of team, uh, like a, a champion team, not a champion, uh, sorry, a team of champions. Um, yeah. So um, fascinating, fascinating. Dave, this has been awesome. We better start bringing it to ground. Um, so 10 years at HubSpot, amazing journey that you've done. You know, congratulations on all the work you've done. Thank and thank you. you for all the work you've done as well. Um, how to, you know, you've, you said you started a blog and built some content. So what is your blog and how do people find you these days? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of launching a, a new one. Uh, you can find me at daveshep.co. That should be up in the next uh, couple of days. Um, so my guess is by the time this gets launched, that'll be up and, and ready. So you can kind of find me there. Awesome. Love it, Dave. Well, thank you again. I've really appreciated it. It's been a great conversation to learn about your journey. Um, until next time, we'll chat to you soon. Charles, pleasure as always.